Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Good morning. Good morning. Coming up on today's show, does former bachelorette Georgia Love have a right to complain about her wedding being cancelled for a second time? Plus the COVID outbreak on the set of The Masked Singer, and then actress Olympia Valance had her intimate photos hacked from her phone and she illegally online. So how does society grapple with revenge porn and its misogynistic thirst for female shame? But first, my wonderful Zara McDonald, how was your week? My week was pretty good. Pretty good, I think. God, we're in the middle of a long lockdown. (laughs) I know we say that every week. I actually moved house this week and I have to say... I'm not going to recommend moving house in stage four lockdown. No. It's not a recommendation. That said, it is nice to have a bit of a change of scenery halfway through. I feel like a bit of a cheater. Do you agree with the quote that change is as good as a holiday? True or false? A little bit, yes. A little bit, Ooh. yes. Because I'm in a new area. Not that I actually moved like 500 metres from where I used <laughs> to live. But it still feels like a new area. So I'm like trying to explore, even though it's so close to where I've always been. So that's been lovely. Also, I've been flat packing a lot, which I've actually found kind of mindful. Mm. Yesterday afternoon, I felt a bit overwhelmed, a little bit stressed. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to flat pack a fucking bedside table. And I did it and it felt good. Maybe because it was like a small scale flat pack. I didn't want to like kind of ruin your mood or your vibe, but maybe a bedside table. Does it have drawers or was it a bedside table that just kind of stands there? Quite basic. No, it's a bedside table. And in my defense, it was actually missing a part. I know. See, I kind of get what you mean. It kind of feels like putting a puzzle together and it's very relaxing and cathartic when all the puzzle pieces fit in, but there is nothing more frustrating than doing flat pack furniture and like you can't figure out what you've done wrong and then you need to pull half of it apart and start again. That sucks. I have been in that position before. I once put a bed frame <laughs> together and realized like three hours earlier that I'd made a fatal mistake, which couldn't be undone. So I just needed no. to drill the whole thing together, which you're definitely not meant to use drills for flat packs. Otherwise, Mish, what did I want to recommend this week? By the way, before I actually recommend something, thanks to everyone who got on the bloody floor. Oh, my God. There was a lot of people who got on that bandwagon and made the cocktail I recommended last week. Dare I say the most successful recommendation we have potentially ever given on this podcast. Congratulations. I'll wear the meme crown, (laughs) meme queen crown. You can wear the recommendation queen crown. I have never seen so many shameless listeners all jump on the same bandwagon. You haven't made it yet, have you? I can tell. Well, I'm still on my health kick. I'm still on my health kick, so I don't want to break it just to make this cocktail. I will, however, as soon as the health kick ends, I will make this cocktail because it is making me incredibly thirsty and all the photos make it look extraordinarily good. Like a lot of the listeners are making it better than what I think you would. 100%. They're making it way hotter <laughs> and way sexier than I did, but that's fine. I don't mind that at all. I did want to recommend an episode, an old episode of Call Your Girlfriend this week. I did mention it in our newsletter on Friday. The episode is Shine Theory 101 and it is from last year, I think, Mish, but I have been listening to a bunch of interviews with the hosts of Call Your Girlfriend because they're releasing a Mm. book at the moment. So they're on that publicity train being interviewed by a lot of different people. And in every interview, they seem to mention this concept of shine theory, which I actually hadn't heard of before. And the concept itself is embedded in their business, which is the idea that they want to lift up as many people around them as they possibly can, not just because they think it's the right thing to do, but because it's better business for everybody. And I thought it was a really interesting concept, particularly on the back of Jamila Jamil and our interview with her last week, where she said, if we all rise together, then we're all benefiting from it. And I think as women, we're so often raised to be pitted against each other. And it can be a really hard rewiring of our brains to consider that maybe if I lift up even the people who are doing something similar to me or in a similar industry to me, then we're all going to be winning because of it. So I just couldn't recommend this episode more. I think it will really start to rewire your brain about what women supporting women actually looks like. Yeah, I love that episode so much. And I really highly back that recommendation as well. I think it's something that would kind of make every woman's professional life better if we all follow the shine theory. Yeah. And it's also very pragmatic. Like it's saying to everyone listening, you don't have to be this really altruistic force in order to do this. Like this will benefit you too. And I think that's a really interesting kind of very pragmatic way to go about it, which was kind of jarring to hear, Mm. but very honest. Like they were very honest about it. So listen to that podcast. How was your week, Mish? You know what? I did not have a good week. I think Anyone in lockdown, whether or not you live in Melbourne or you're in lockdown earlier in 2020, you would know that 
being stuck with your own mind is not great if you have an anxious mind, if you struggle with a mental illness or anxiety disorder. So transparently, this week was not a good week for my mental health, but that's okay because I know that not every week will be good and I know that next week might be better. And I think that's part of the reason why I've been on a health kick, just to explain it to the listeners. The first lockdown, I did not treat my body very well and I was kind of in this slump and I was feeling really grey and it was probably the lowest point my mental health has been in years, the first lockdown. And I very, very deeply struggled. And you know that, Zara, behind the scenes probably didn't talk about it on the podcast because I was so in the thick of it and I was really down and really struggling. But this lockdown, I've been feeling a lot better. I've had a bad week, but I know that I'm doing good things for my mind. So I just want to say anyone out there who's struggling this week, I'm thinking of you. I'm with you. I'm in the boat with you. And next week might be better. Next week will be better. I do have a recommendation that's going to make the world feel like it has shifted on its axis and we are in a parallel universe. I want to recommend The Daily. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. I know that I give Zara shit for recommending this podcast every week. And I give her shit because it's like her go-to recommendation. However, The Daily is brilliant. Like, let me put that out there. It is an awesome, awesome show. Every single week they put out incredible content. And I would be a fraud and a liar if I didn't get on this podcast and recommend their two-part series on cancel culture, which I listened to this week and which I know you equally adored, Zara, and didn't want to recommend because you had recommended The Daily like three episodes in a row. I know. And so I kind of just dropped it randomly in the middle of the podcast episode last week because I needed to get it out. (laughs) I needed to just mention it. This two-part series is quite incredible, isn't it? Mm, it's so good. And I. this is the funny thing, right? As soon as you say cancel culture and as soon as it leaves my mouth, I kind of seize up because I know that you can be cancelled for saying the wrong thing about cancel culture. And I think that's precisely the crux of this two-part series, that cancel culture has become so enmeshed with controversy and divisiveness that even having an opinion on cancel culture can in and of itself get you cancelled. So I will leave those two episodes for the listeners to go enjoy and think about. I think there are so many different opinions and viewpoints raised in those episodes. And I just think it's great for anyone who kind of wants to expand their thinking on the matter and have a look at how this has changed so rapidly over the last 12 months. And I think my favorite point from that episode is that everybody has a different perception of what cancel culture means. Mm. And I think that's why we're in this mess where you're absolutely right. I think one of the points that they make on that podcast episode is that they were kind of terrified to talk about it because what if it meant that they were kind of going to be cancelled because they were talking about (laughs) cancel culture. It's all very meta, (laughs) but I did love it. I'm going to back that recommendation. Look at us backing each other's recommendations. And I think we should just leave the rest for the listeners because there's just so much beauty in there. Yeah, don't listen to our voices. Go listen to theirs. That said, continue listening for the next like 50 or so minutes. We have a lot to talk about. Zara, before we get there, we are launching a book and it is coming up so fucking quickly. It's in a week (laughs) and one day. I mean, when you put it like that. I'm like dying internally. Are you dying? I know that maybe Penguin doesn't even want us to say this, but I'm extremely anxious about launching this book. It's so funny because I love that you're asking me that because you know exactly how I feel and I feel exactly the same way (laughs) that you had. And it was exactly why I was flat packing on (laughs) the weekend because I was trying to think about anything other than this. It's it's quite a strange thing to do. I am really Mm. glad we're doing it, but it's kind of terrifying (laughs) because I don't think the thing we've said on this podcast, Mish, about the book is that we've put more of ourselves in this book, like more of our personal selves in this book than anything Mm. else we've ever done. And now I think we're having that moment where we're like, we can't take any of these words back. No, I am so petrified that people will buy this book and not like it. And I know that's not the thing you're supposed to say one week out from launching a book, but that is just genuinely how I feel. And I wish someone had told me that the week before my book would go live, I would feel this naked and this exposed and this vulnerable because it's precisely how I feel. All of that said, buy tickets to our book launch because we're doing one. (laughs) I mean, that was actually the point of us bringing up the book, not to explain our existential crisis, but to say we are doing a virtual book launch because, of course, Mish and I are not in the same space, which means the book launch is, of course, called (laughs) The Space Between Mish and Zara. You are welcome. Annabelle, give me a round of applause for that one. Um, We are going to have a chat between ourselves. We're actually going to interview each other about the book, Mm. about some of the really key concepts and themes in this book. So we want you to come. We really want you to come. 
put on your Zoom while you're making dinner or you're sitting on the couch. It is next Thursday, the 3rd of September. Yeah, all ticket sales, 100% of proceeds from this event will be donated to charity. We're going to be announcing more details about what that charity is, how everything will function on Thursday this week. So keep an eye on our Instagram account at Shameless Podcast. We can't wait not just to bring you this chat, but hopefully do some good at the same time and raise a little extra for charity, Zara. Absolutely. Mish, what is in our hotline this week? One of the first messages we want to share from our hotline is from listener Bridget. She had a lot to say about the Jamila Jamil episode. I just wanted to come on and say how much I absolutely loved your in conversation today with Jamila Jamil. I love her and think the work that she does is so amazing. Um, I'm definitely that person in your newsfeed that's constantly sharing you know, petitions and those sorts of things, just trying to get one or two more signatures rather than my own. Um, and, you know, sometimes I question the benefit of that or whether I'm just bothering people in my newsfeed. But after her conversation today, I realised that, you know, any small bit does actually help and that we, you know, should use our voices for the better. And, yeah, I just wanted to say how much I loved it. I think you guys are great and, yeah, just love the work you do. Thank you. Talk to me. What do you think? I agree. And the funny thing about this episode, Zara, was that there was so much in that in-conversation chat with Jamila Jamil. We covered so many topics. She shared so many insights and beautiful quotes and really deeply held feelings. And I didn't actually hear any of them when we interviewed her. I was such a nervous wreck that I don't think I kind of absorbed what she was actually saying in the moment. So when I was listening back throughout the week and doing little edits to the audio, there was so much I picked up every new time I listened. I think I've listened to that episode three times and every time I hear it, I I kind of pick up something new that I'm like, wow, and it opens my mind. And I think she's such an incredible person and I'm just so chuffed it was something we have on Shameless. Yeah, absolutely. And she was just so incredibly articulate. I think there's one thing that you realize when you're interviewing people is how some people almost talk in sound bites, but not in bad sound bites, great sound bites. Like they have just mm. beautiful ways of constructing sentences in the moment that makes for a really thoughtful episode because they're mm. so, so articulate and she was exactly like that. So it was awesome. Thank you so much, Bridget, for calling in. Yeah. And as Bridget said, add your voice to causes that you care about. You are just one person, but there is so much power in numbers. So if you care about something, please use your voice about it. You have every right to do that. We also, Zara, want to talk about a listener email we received to the hotline email this week. I think this is a really important one. We're not going to share the person's name because we actually don't know it. But the email read, Hi, Shameless Girls. I just began listening to your podcast after a recommendation from a colleague. And after listening to quite a few episodes, I'm very much enjoying it. However, there is one thing I would like to bring up because although I believe there is good intentions, it could be presented better. In the few episodes I've listened to, there have been brief mentions of gender identities and topics of the like. One of you repeatedly uses the term non-binary women. I understand the sentiment and the idea of of this term, but it is actually quite contradictory and detrimental to the non-binary identity. The term non-binary is to state that the person is neither male nor female, man nor woman. Therefore, the term doesn't make that much sense. I really enjoy getting this email and I do genuinely really enjoy getting stuff like this because I just wouldn't have known or really probably wouldn't have given this the time or thought or space to understand Mm -hmm. it. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it, like it's a complete oxymoron to use the term non-binary woman. But we wanted to include that because we clearly have got it wrong in the past and we're going to make a conscious effort to not get it wrong in the future, Mish. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you to this listener for emailing us. You're absolutely right. You have every right to bring that up with us and we will make a concerted effort to change it going forward. If you guys are looking for queer content or for content about gender fluidity or the trans experience, we do have in conversation episodes with Courtney Act and Georgie Stone from 2020 that were absolutely awesome chats and I loved having them on the podcast. Yeah, those two are absolutely incredible. And Courtney Act actually at the moment, Mish, I think is one of our most downloaded episodes. Ever. I know. So let's actually get into the show, Mish, because we are starting with Georgia Love's wedding tweets. We absolutely are. So context, if you are not based in Australia, Georgia Love was the 2016 Australian Bachelorette. By the way, Zara, am I the only one that feels like that was just yesterday that Georgia Love was our Bachelorette? 2016. Four years ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. So on the show, of course, Georgia met her now fiancé, Lee Elliott. They are very much in love, very happy. And if 2020 was not the complete clusterfuck that it now is, they would be getting married this year. Yeah, once in Italy, it was meant to be already done, right? Exactly. So during the week, Georgia took to her Twitter account. She's very active on Twitter, very funny on Twitter, to write... 
So, like, how funny is it when you cancel your Italy wedding and book it for Tasmania instead? Ha 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 ha. And then the Premier shuts the borders till at least December. Ha ha. Oh my God, so funny. I am totally fine. (laughs) So someone who has her wedding cancelled twice, I think we can all agree that that's a bit shit. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's denying that that's an especially shit situation. I think in a year that is 2020 when everybody is losing a lot, people are losing loved ones or can't see loved ones, add that to the fact that you can't marry the person that you love. And I don't think many people are saying that's not a shit situation. Although what happened, it appears, is when Georgia tweeted this, people got very nasty in response. Some Mm. of the responses were, we are in a pandemic, many people are dying, your party can wait, which is just such a condescending thing to kind of call a wedding a party anyway. And another one I read, Mish, was you could consider the value of life of other people instead, (sighs) assuming that just because she's expressing, you know, a bit of upset because her wedding is cancelled, that she doesn't value life. Those things just don't really connect in my brain. The snarkiness of the responses to Georgia really took me by surprise like of course on Twitter or of course on any social media platform you're always going to expect people to be a bit snippy but the number of people who are being really snarky borderline nasty towards Georgia did kind of make me stop and pause and feel a bit shocked. One of the comments I read was, walk your ass to a courthouse and marry the person you love. You two standing next to each other should be what matters if you really need to do it that badly. Weddings make people so vain. Wow, I didn't see that one. That's that's an incredible flattening of the situation, isn't it? Mm. And I really respected her coming back to this later that day and she wrote a Twitter thread saying, guys, Like, I've got stuff going on. The wedding isn't it. You're allowed to express uh, upset that a big part of your life or a big event in your life is cancelled twice. She wrote, I literally rang in 2020 watching people's homes burn down. I've had to be the one in charge of talks with an aged care facility about my own grandmother because her daughter, my mother, died and I am still grieving this deeply. I may no longer have a job in my career profession that I have put my life's work into and where my passion lies. So you know what? I'm allowed to comment on the fact it's a bit shitty my wedding has been affected too. This does not take away from anyone else's pain or suffering. And gets bang on. I think there's so much going on in 2020 for a lot of people. And yes, some people's lives are worse than others, but that doesn't mean that a huge event in your life being cancelled twice is not worthy of a tweet that says this is really pretty shit. Yeah, I know a handful of people actually who have had their weddings cancelled and postponed because of coronavirus. One of them is my sister, of which I was going to be the maid of honour. Yes, there are worse things going on. Of course, there's always someone worse off than you. But that doesn't minimize what you're going through. That doesn't make it any less shitty. We just need to be kinder to each other. Like, Jesus, imagine telling the world that you're the, one of the biggest days of your life, one of the most exciting events of your life, one of the most sunshiny days of the year has been moved twice and cancelled twice and then having everyone come back to you with nastiness. I'm just so over people being dicks online. Like, get out of your own ass and be a better person. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with people? What is wrong with you? I totally agree with you. It's completely ridiculous. Let's unpack what's actually going on here, though because I do think there are quite a few layers to why the vitriol was so intense. I mean, for one, one thing I couldn't stop thinking when I was seeing this unfold is what's interesting to me is I feel like as a public figure, you are so much more likely to lament and be publicly disappointed about the smaller scale things Mm. that are going wrong rather than the really awful stuff you're dealing with, like the awful stuff you keep to yourself, the palatable stuff you share. So just because one public figure is upset because her wedding is cancelled doesn't mean it's the worst thing going on in her life. Like it's very one dimensional of us to assume that just because she's complaining about one thing, it must be the worst thing that's going on in her life. Yeah. And I'd argue most of the ways that we talk and think and bitch about celebrities is one dimensional. Like we are so good at dehumanizing public figures and pretending that their lives are perfect and crystal clear all the time. And I genuinely think people read this tweet from Georgia Love and thought that was the biggest issue in her life ever. And that's the only thing for her to complain about. I think one element and one layer of this that is not Georgia's fault at all, I don't think this has anything to do with her. It has everything to do with the people who criticized her, was the inclusion of Italy Wedding. I feel like there's such financial frustration around right now. So many people have lost their jobs. So many people are feeling really helpless and under a lot of hardship when it comes to money that unfortunately they're channeling their frustration and that anger onto Georgia. When Georgia has the right to have an Italy wedding if she wants, she has a right to spend her money in whichever way she deems fit. 
Yeah, for sure. And I actually hadn't thought about that aspect at all. But God, this is very reminiscent of our conversation last week, isn't it? Kind of just like a lot of misplaced anger Mm. and nobody kind of knows where to place it. I think one thing we kind of often don't talk about enough as well is that circumstance and misfortune, of course, exists on a scale. Like, of course, the worst thing that has ever happened to me may not be the same thing as the worst thing that's ever happened to you or whoever is listening. But expressing something as shit doesn't take away from somebody else's pain. Yes, it's worth being self-aware when you're complaining about your own scenario knowing full well it might not be the worst thing in the mm. world but both things can exist even if your life is harder than mine or vice versa mm. and I'd also argue that Georgia Love compared to a lot of celebrities has been very open and honest and transparent with what she's gone through she has told the public that she is still grieving her mother and that's an incredibly difficult thing to go through in your 20s and your early 30s so For people to kind of jump on this bandwagon and to imply that Georgia Love is positioning herself as the ultimate COVID-19 victim, I just find it so unfair. And I just think that people need to kind of bring themselves out of their phones right now. I was listening to a great podcast this week that really explained that our social worlds have been shrunk to just our phones and we are channeling all of our energy into our phones no matter what. People just need to pull themselves back. Even some of these trolls were going back to people who were pulling them up and saying, you're being really nasty. And they're going, no, I'm being a good person. I'm being a good person. I'm trying to remind people of what's important here. And it's like, are you really being a good person? By going back to Georgia Love and calling her vain for caring about her own wedding, is that truly you being a good person? Or are you just emitting your most negative energy and pushing it onto other people because you don't want to deal with it? Well, I think it's the idea that we very rarely give people the benefit of the doubt now. Like to go in there and say that you're being a good person because you're reminding everybody else of what is important is making the assumption that most people don't know what's important or don't have perspective. I think that if 2020 has taught us anything, it is about perspective and about what is important. I remember when the pandemic started, there was a lot of conversation around the fact that what the world was doing as all of this was kind of falling upon us was collectively grieving. And Mm -hmm. I haven't heard it being brought back up, even though the pandemic is kind of six months on. And I went back and did some digging about what collective grief actually means, because I can't really identify at the moment with the term grief. To me, grief explains a scenario that involves death or something quite extreme. Mm. But Lauren Breen did an interview with Hack and she's an associate professor at Curtin University and a registered psychologist. And she says that feelings people might be having around losses, whether it be travel plans or wedding or work opportunities or simply the freedom to go outside, which on Twitter apparently are all very frivolous kind of first world (laughs) things, are a kind of grief. She told Hack, when we think about grief, most people will think about the death of a person or some other perhaps physical or tangible loss, but it doesn't have to be that. And I think we need to validate our own grief at the moment too. One other thing that I read, Mish, which I think that you will identify with because I think it's the thing that I identified with the most when I was reading is this guy called David Kessler, who was like widely known as the world's expert on grief, did an interview at the Harvard Business Review and called this collective feeling in the air anticipatory grief. And he Mm. explains anticipatory grief as that feeling we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain. Anticipatory grief is the mind going to the future and imagining the worst. I think that's a really important explanation for what's going on here because we have all these really uncertain ideas about what the future could hold and and that can be really terrifying for a lot of people. I wonder if you agree with me on this as well, Zara, that generally I look out across the next 12 months in a typical year, not in 2020, but say 2018 and 2019, and it always feels like the year is anchored to certain to certain concrete things. So you will have Christmas with your family. You will have a birthday event or you will be going on this one holiday or one, I don't know, road trip every year. And those are the anchors that you look forward to and you center yourself around and kind of get you through the monotony of everyday life. To have all of those concrete pillars torn out of the ground and to look ahead at a year where there is nothing that's certain, there is nothing that's concrete. We don't know if we're going to get Christmas with our families. That's unsettling. And I think a wedding for someone like Georgia or for someone like my sister who have been planning for it for over a year, that was the concrete pillar. It's been pulled out of the ground and now they don't know what the fuck they're looking at over the next 12, 18, 24 months. I just think if we're all feeling untethered, It pays to kind of give each other the benefit of the doubt, like you said, and acknowledge that what each of us is going through is grief, even if that grief and the contours of that grief are very, very different. Thank you, next bitch.
And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Elizabeth Andrews, what have you got for me? My first story, the Masked Singer production shut down after seven COVID-19 cases. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. And oh my God, first thought, I thought the Masked Singer would be filmed in Sydney. It's being filmed in Melbourne. I actually feel kind of bad about this because I was sitting on the couch and my boyfriend turned to me on Saturday night and said, oh, The Masked Singer has been shut down because of COVID-19. And I was like, no, that must be an old story because obviously The Masked Singer is filmed way in advance. Completely ignored Mm. him and then looked at my phone half an hour later and realised not only was this story very true and very breaking, but The Masked Singer is being recorded in Melbourne, filmed in Melbourne. Like someone needs to explain this to me. Given Melbourne is the hotspot in the country. Sure. And like all the stars. This was the other thing that got me. Osha Gunsberg and Jackie O, and I would guess Danny Minogue, would have residences based in Sydney. I understand that maybe Dave Hughes and Ursula Carlson might be located in Melbourne. But for such a huge production to be taking place in the coronavirus hotspot of the country, I am perplexed that this was not moved to Sydney from episode one. I actually think this is one of the more confusing stories of the last week because I do not understand how this is deemed an essential service or an essential job. And I saw some really great tweets around about this, Mish, this weekend. One was from Louise Milligan, the journalist from Four Corners, who said, helping to tip our number on Sunday into the 200s were dancers who sweat in close contact for a living, spreading through a set of a singing contest for celebrities in disguise. Inexplicably set in Melbourne while healthcare workers get COVID, kids can't go to school, loved ones can't attend funerals. True story. When you put it like that, it is incredibly confusing. Jill Stark also tweeted on the weekend, seven cases linked to the masked singer, struggling to see how a celebrity singing contest was considered an essential service. People's loved ones are dying alone. We're all making huge sacrifices, staggering. This show was allowed to continue filming during stage four lockdown. She Mm. also noted below that tweet that let's not forget that Danny Minogue was given an exemption from mandatory hotel quarantine when she flew in from LA and was allowed to isolate in her Gold Coast home. Money talks, it seems. Money does talk. And I think that's the unfortunate thing that, yeah, I don't get it either. And I'm really stunned that Network 10 and whatever production company is behind The Masked Singer didn't think to move this or didn't think to find a workaround. But now they're in a situation where all of their stars, Osha Gunsberg, Jackie O, Dave Hughes, Ursula Carlson, Danny Minogue, and all the celebrity masked singers now are in mandatory isolation for two weeks. It also potentially, for all of our Bachelor fans, I know there are so many of you, might jeopardize the finale of The Bachelor in that apparently not all filming is done. At least a report was published by Sydney Morning Herald yesterday that implied some filming still needs to be done for those final episodes. That seems ridiculous, though it would be quite fitting. Imagine Imagine if Osha Gunsberg was in um, mandatory quarantine and then Jonathan Lepaglia had to come and host (laughs) the Bachelor finale like Osha did Survivor. How incredible. Oh, my God. I mean, it's all speculation, right? I don't know if Sydney Morning Herald were implying that little bits to camera still need to be filmed, like little starts and ends and kind of monologues from Osha before they dive into all the drama. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Anyway, this will be really interesting because I did read apparently they filmed only four reveals ahead of time on the masks singer so god knows what they're going to do when kind of those episodes are used up and they aren't able to film for some time and by the way guys please call our hotline go to our website shamelessthepodcast.com click on the hotline tab and leave us a message do you think shows like this should be considered essential services or do you think it was really irresponsible that this was allowed to proceed my second story megan the stallion publicly confirms that tory lanes shot her that is from vulture Now, this is a story that was really circulating about a month ago, Zara. We didn't touch it because it seemed quite murky. There weren't many details around about exactly what had happened. There were whispers that Megan Thee Stallion, a musician that we covered just a couple of weeks ago, had been shot. What we didn't know, though, were any details around that. Now, though, she's gone on her Instagram and she has confirmed that, in fact, fellow musician Tori Lanes shot her in the feet. Yeah, and this, I think, was the rumour for a little bit, but she just came on her Instagram to confirm it. She said, you shot me and you got your publicist and your people going to these blogs lying and shit. Stop lying. Why lie? I don't understand. She also said and explained that she was really 
petrified and terrified of telling police what really happened because of police-involved shootings of black people, which has been a huge topic of conversation in particular in the last few months, that of course she's not just going to pick up the phone and call the police because the police are well known for not protecting black people in the way that they protect white people. Imagine that emotional burden. You've been shot, you've been assaulted by someone, and you also in your head need to make mental space to protect them at the same time. The fact that she was too scared to call police and tell them that this was Tory Lanez who shot her out of a want to protect him and out of a fear that he would be killed if he was taken into custody is such a heavy, heavy burden to bear when you're already dealing with your own trauma. And I can't even imagine that. And I don't think any white people can imagine that kind of emotional burden. And I think it's really important for us to point to that because that is the black experience. My third story, Britney Spears asks court to remove dad's control over personal life. That is from BBC. Mish, I feel like this is the first time in years that we've actually heard Britney come out and speak on her own conservatorship. I know that we did a segment on this a couple of weeks ago now on the Free Britney movement where a Mm. lot of people are wondering, is Britney okay? What's the deal with this conservatorship? Is she able to get out of it? And it seems to be that she is strongly opposed to having her father at the helm of it. Yeah, exactly. So this is all according to court documents that were filed in the Superior Court of California in Los Angeles. What I find interesting about this, Zara, is that Britney Spears is not opposed to being under a conservatorship. In fact, she wants the conservatorship to remain in place. She likes living under it. She likes having people in her life have full control over her finances and personal decisions. What she doesn't like is her dad being at the helm of those decisions. So she has requested that her manager Manager Jody Montgomery step in full time and take over that conservatorship from her father, James. So Jody Montgomery is actually already at the helm of the conservatorship at the moment, just sort of in like mm. a temporary basis. So she wants that to be extended. I think we'll find that out later this month, Mish. Absolutely. My fourth story, Tess Holiday calls out the double standard of the strawberry dress going viral on thin bodies. That is from People magazine. For anyone who missed it, if you're not on TikTok, there is this one whimsical strawberry dress that has absolutely gone viral. It is heralded as like the most beautiful dress on the planet. And a hashtag for the dress garnered 8.3 million views on the app. The irony here is that plus size model Tess Holiday actually wore this dress seven months ago. She wore it in January to the Grammys and was landed on worst dress list, Zara. Absolutely. And she tweeted this week, I like how this dress had me on worst dress list when I wore it in January to the Grammys, but now because of of skinny people wore it on TikTok, everyone cares. To sum it up, our society hates fat people, especially when we are winning. It reminded me so much, Mish, of the conversations we've had around who wore it better when magazines Mm. used to have a side-by-side image of two women wearing the same outfit and the question being who wore it better and it was almost always exclusively the skinny person who wore the outfit better, meaning the question is never about the outfit in question, it's always about the body wearing it. Yeah, well, there's no room for discussion here. Like, there is no room for discussion that society is fat phobic when the dress is the same. And on skinny people, it's treated as the most beautiful thing ever. And on fat women, it's treated as the ugliest dress ever. The only thing that's changing is the body that's wearing it. There is no room for discussion. We are a fat phobic society and we need to address that. It's a gorgeous dress. Tess Holiday looked amazing in it. And anyone who put her on a worst dress list back in January probably needs to have a good hard look at themselves and exactly what was going on when they made that decision. My fifth and final story, Zara, Lockie Gilbert's wild night out with a math star, Alex Markovich, that ruined everything. This is from now to love and I have no fucking idea why you've put this in. (laughs) I made you put this in (laughs) because I'm kind of obsessed with that story. Also, not like now to love to kind of exaggerate a heading. It didn't ruin everything. It nearly ruined everything. (laughs) For those who didn't see this story around this week, Obviously, because of the pandemic, The Bachelor had to stop filming and everybody had to go back to their homes and Lockie Gilbert went back to Perth while they kind of were in between filming. And he said that he wasn't sure if the show was going to continue to go ahead. So he was accidentally spotted in the background of a Maths Stars live video. What? In this period. Yeah. So he was spotted in the background of the like Alex Markovich's live video and everyone's like, oh my God, what's Lockie Gilbert doing? 
doing hanging out with her and this late night. Apparently, all the bachelorettes on the show got a bit annoyed because they're like, oh my God, he's out partying with random people and not actually kind of very invested in this process. Even better, I think. I think the best fact for me is mm. Alex Markovich didn't come out and say, we're actually really good mates. Like, we hang out all the time. She was like, <laughs> I don't even know the guy. Like, I don't really know the guy at all. <laughs> Meaning, what the fuck is Lockie Gilbert doing there? I don't even know who Alex Markovich is. I'm literally doing a live Google search while we talk. Oh, yeah. I kind of recognize her. I didn't really watch this season of maths. There you go. A narrowly missed bullet from old mate Lockie Gilbert there. Quick question. Do you think he is still with the winner? Mm, I, I do think he is. I remember when I was watching the Honey Badger, like when he had to do that promo for Channel 10 while the season was airing, it was kind of clear that he hadn't fallen in love with a woman like he refused to say I'm with someone he just kept saying I'm very very happy I'm happy with where my life is at whereas Lockie Gilbert said I've fallen in love she's the woman of my dreams we're so happy together so yes I think whoever he's chosen he's still with her right now whether or not they'll last Ooh. together forever is anyone's guess. I mean, as we know, last year's Bachelor Matt Agnew and his chosen lady Chelsea McLeod lasted all of a couple of months. Yes, yes. Let's see. Watch this space, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> is that all you've got for me? <laughs> that is all I've got. Coming up after the break, actress Olympia Valance announces she has fallen victim to a hack that saw nude photos of her posted online. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This week, Australian actress Olympia Valance announced she had fallen victim to a cyber hack which saw intimate pictures of her being stolen and circulated online. I am writing this as confirmation that I know I have become a victim of cybercrime, she wrote on Instagram on Friday. I have been dealing with this for over a year now since my phone was compromised by a hacking of private images which were then published online. Valance went on to say her mental health has been severely affected by the hacking. I have since had to deal with this again recently when new images were recirculated, re-traumatizing me and pushing my anxiety into a space it has never been. We should be allowed to embrace our sexuality without fear that someone will take those images and manipulate them for their own gain. Mish, seeing this around this week made me think a lot about how we have treated women over the years who have had nude photos stolen and shared. Do you think much has changed? I do think some important things have changed and I can't wait to discuss that with you, Zara, and kind of look at the brief history that we do have of revenge porn and leaked nude photographs online. Before I get to that, though, should we give some context as to who Olympia Valance is for those who might not know? Go for it. Thanks for doing what I should have done oh, in my intro. No problem. <laughs> All right. So Olympia Valance, if the name is not familiar, she is an Australian actress and model. She's best known for her roles as Paige Smith in Neighbours and Talia Woods in Playing for Keeps, both air on Channel 10. I personally really despise, this is such a, a tangent, Zara, but I really despise that this week publications like the Daily Mail referred to Olympia as an AFL before daring to mention that she's been well-known and successful long before she ever met her now AFL partner, Tom Bell Chambers. That really rubbed me up the wrong way. I did not see that, but that would absolutely rile me up considering she is arguably far more successful than any player on the AFL field. Oh, it fucking grinds my gears when I see women who are very successful referred to as nothing more than their relationship status with their partner or as someone who's just a fixture to their partner's side. I really hate that. All of that said, Olympia issued the most spectacular message about this, Zara. I do want to read out one extra quote that wasn't in that intro. She wrote, taking intimate photos of yourself or to share with a partner is not a shameful thing to do. Stealing them and sharing them online without consent is. We should be allowed to embrace our sexuality without fear that someone will take those images and manipulate them for their own gain. The reason I give that quote, Zara, is because on your question, what has changed? I think this is what has changed, that women aren't taking on shame anymore for daring to take images of their naked bodies. I 100% agree. It made me think a lot about how women in the past when nude photos of them have been stolen and shared have been forced to apologise mm. for actually having taken the photo. And reading this has made me think so much. I felt like I've just been going back and back 
about how we've treated young women in the past who have had nude photo scandals of their own and how much we have demonized them and considered them like charlatans and almost idiotic for wanting to express themselves. Like how silly of you, if you're going to take a photo, of course, it's going to be shared is the sentiment I think we used to have. And some people still would. And I really started to think about the messages I had internalized as a young woman about nude photos and how much our coverage of these stories has changed a little bit. Yeah. To give a bit of personal context, this has happened to me before. I've had a topless photo leaked. I sent it to a group of girlfriends. This was way back in, I think, uh, 2015. It was then sent around to male group chats. I was showing off my sunburn. And I wrote about this online when I worked at Mamma Mia. So I wrote an entire article about this and I completely regret the way I wrote that article. I went back as part of research for this segment and looked at the way that I wrote about revenge porn at that time as a victim of it. And even I was kind of shaming myself and shaming other women for taking photos. Like I put a caveat in that story saying, I always knew that it was silly to send photos, like naked photos of myself to men, or I always knew that it was silly and you should be really careful with what to do. And it still happened to me, implying that any woman who shares a photo with a man somehow does take on some level of fault for him sharing it. And I couldn't believe, like I wrote this years ago, but I still read it and was like, what the fuck? Like, why did I need to put that in that I didn't share it with a man? I tried to be careful and it still happened to me as if any woman should take on guilt for sharing it with anyone she wants to. But I feel like that's exactly how we've been raised to feel about this kind of thing, that we almost need to have that caveat in for people who want to say, well, don't you know that this is something you shouldn't do? Mm. And I think that's the saddest thing at all. Do you know what it made me think a lot about? And the example I cannot get out of my head is Vanessa Hudgens. Mm. In 2007, for those who don't remember, at the height of her high school musical fame. And Vanessa Hudgens was like the sweetheart of high school musical. That was her character. Nude photos of her were leaked without her permission. And she was forced at the time to release this statement. I want to apologize to my fans whose support and trust means the world to me. I am embarrassed over this situation and regret having ever taken these photos. I am thankful for the support of my family and my friends. It happened three more times to her in 2009 and 2011. So someone was holding on to these photos and releasing them kind of sporadically over the course of the years, just as she was about to kind of launch new movies every time. Mm, It's horrific. And the fact that she had to apologize for that, not position herself as a victim, which she was a victim, is so heartbreaking. I think you can't even begin to understand how intrusive this is until it happens to you as an everyday person. But if it happens to you as a public figure or a celebrity and it becomes public fodder and everyone's searching and recirculating these images, that kind of intrusion and that abuse of privacy is just so damaging and harmful. And for women like Vanessa Hudgens to think that only 10 or 12 years ago she was having to apologise to us for having that happen to her is so sad. I am happy the shame has been eroded away. Yeah, well, what I wanted to do, if you would allow me, Michelle, for now, (laughs) is I wanted to read a couple of articles that touched on Vanessa Hudgens and this nude photo scandal at the time. In 2009, which really doesn't feel like that long ago, does it? No. I I was, how old were you in 2009? I was about 15. We would have been the same age, friend. We're both born in 1994. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to include you. You know we're the same age. <laughs> I know. Okay, fine. But you are a few months older than me, which kills you, I think. Anyway, grandma. In 2009, we were 14 or 15, and this is the coverage that's circulating about a woman sharing nude photos. This was from the Daily Beast. Someone needs to take Vanessa Hudgens' digital camera away. The high school musical alum and Zac Efron girlfriend is in the middle of yet another nude photo scandal, her second in two years. Last time Hudgens' nude self-portraits found their way into the public eye, she apologised to her fans and said she was quote-unquote embarrassed. This time she appears to be playing it cool. Word is she'll skip the apology rigmarole and focus on her acting. In her next project, she'll be back in racy situations playing a prostitute. In 2011, the Daily Telegraph wrote... A third set of naked Vanessa Hudgens pictures have been leaked online coincidentally just before her new movie. The latest shots show the gulf between Hudgens' real life and her good girl high school musical image continues to grow as the years pass. The latest set of photos are particularly graphic and show Hudgens flashing her breasts for the camera, among other private 
acts. What the fuck? That's in 2011 and that was the Daily Telegraph. Compare that to how News Corp covered Olympia Valance this time and they've written an op-ed saying why she absolutely should not be apologising for taking these photos. Oh my God. I mean, if anything, it's a positive, right? We've come so far in a relatively short amount of time. Where we haven't grown is probably in the misogyny that still permeates society, right? I think a huge part of this is that the power is still moving and the power is still being abused. The misogynists clearly think that the one way to hold women down and the best way to hold us back is to strip us of control of our body. And I think we see that in so many different manifestations. So misogynists want to strip away women's reproductive rights. They want to strip away our right to an abortion. And then they want to strip away our right over our own naked images. And I read an article by Roxanne This was back in 2014 when the Jennifer Lawrence photos circulated. And Roxanne was as eloquent on this topic back then as I think she would be today. In 2014, she wrote, What these people are doing is reminding women that, no matter who they are, they are still women. They are forever vulnerable. Your bared body can always be used as a weapon against you. Your bared body can always be used to shame and humiliate you. Your bared body is at once desired and loathed. I loved that quote. I actually wrote it down as well. The last (laughs) bit, your bared body is at once desired and loathed, really, really hit home for me because... The thing is, we have to acknowledge that, as you say, the nuance in a conversation like this, because while I am so glad that much has changed with regards to how the media will report on an incident like this, largely with far more sympathy for how fucked up it is for a woman to have to deal with this, the truth is women's nude photos will always be weaponized against them because our sexuality is always weaponized against us. Mm. Like it feels like the ultimate gotcha moment for a woman in the public eye. Here is a woman who, you know, particularly in the case of Vanessa Hudgens, here is a woman that has the appearance of like purity and goodness, but wow, look at how sexy she is behind closed doors. Why don't we rip this curtain back as if both things can't be true, as if she can't be sexy and clever and good and pure all at once. And Mm. I think that's the thing that gets me is this feels like the ultimate gotcha moment for a woman and the fact that hackers will consistently pry and kind of steal these images from women's phones makes me think that there's still so far to go because it's still always going to be weaponized against them. I think there is still far to go. And I think one example that depicts that really well is the example of Rob Kardashian committing revenge porn against Black China. I feel like we have so much sympathy and we have so much care for white women who go through this. And yet when women who have perhaps profited from their bodies or have used their bodies to make a career, we don't spare them the same respect. I think I will always hold a level of I'm trying to find a softer word for hatred, but I guess if I'm being honest with everyone, that's what it is. I'm incredibly upset still that Rob Kardashian dared to leak intimate images of China's genitalia in 2017 because she broke up with him. I will always be so disgusted by that behavior and by the fact that when Instagram took those images down, Rob Kardashian encouraged all of his followers to go peep his Twitter account to go see them posted there. I think the fact that we finally could put a face to one of the men who thinks that this is okay is damning for Rob Kardashian, but unfortunately that's the consequence of his actions. I feel like so often the women are exposed, the women's privacy is completely trashed, and the men get to sit behind anonymous avatars on Reddit and on 4chan. But in this situation, Rob Kardashian did it with his own face. He felt so comfortable abusing his former fiance, he did it with his own accounts. And what I really despised was when he apologized, his first apology didn't go to Black China. It went to his family, who he says he embarrassed. And I think the way that was handled by the Kardashians, it was so quickly brushed aside and brushed away. When I would hope that a family like that would know deeply, particularly with Kim Kardashian's history, that having intimate nude photos of yourself or nude content of yourself or sexual content of yourself leaked without your permission is a crime and is deeply offensive. I just I will not be able to move past that story. And I think that will forever tarnish his reputation in my eyes. To be honest, so it should. Like, I don't think we should move past that story. It's completely fucked up and a bit psychopathic if I'm also not going to beat around the bush here too. I think it reminded me a bit when I say that this feels like the ultimate gotcha moment for a woman, and I know that Roxanne Gay touched on this so beautifully in her piece from 2014 too. It's like the minute a woman 
rises to the top. We want to pull her down in this way. And it made me think about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she was elected to Senate. A fake nude photo tried to bring her down. So it was photoshopped. It wasn't real, but it was the same concept, right? As if it was the ultimate disqualifier. Like, hey, here's this woman who's really successful, who's just been elected, who's kind of almost done the impossible. But wait, here's a way to discredit her. Here's a way to disqualify her. And it's just not. Like, it is just not. And I want these conversations to continually change so that we understand that. Yeah, and I think that example with AOC actually depicts what the new frontier of revenge porn will be for women. And that is deep fakes. If you're not familiar with the term deep fakes, that refers to doctored video footage of women performing sex acts or having their faces superimposed onto porn stars. So there are plenty of deepfake videos around that aren't sexual content. For example, that video of Barack Obama calling Donald Trump a complete dipshit. That was a deepfake video. But 96% of deepfake videos are pornographic and 99% of those videos map the faces of female celebrities onto porn stars. Think Gal Gadot, Taylor Swift, Scarlett Johansson, a whole bunch of popular female celebrities. And it's not happening to men. This isn't happening to men that they're having their faces superimposed into pornographic videos. And that's because men are not made to feel shame over their sexuality. Women still are. And the more we reject that, exactly like Olympia Valance has done, the more we move forward. Yeah, absolute props to Olympia Valance for that statement. For those who want to read it in full, it is on her Instagram. But I think now is the time more than ever that we need to be at the forefront of these conversations to make sure that women don't feel shame over sex or how they're using their body because Although we can't control deep fakes, we can't control fucked up hackers, we can control how much shame women feel about it. Yeah, and it's not your fault. Let's wrap this segment with Olympia's final quote, which is, I'm not ashamed, I'm not embarrassed, I will not apologise, I have done nothing wrong. When I read that, my eyes welled up because I think that's exactly it. You have done nothing wrong. You are a victim in this situation if this has happened to you. You should not feel shame for expressing yourself and your sexuality in whatever way you see fit. Hey, I think that might be all we have time for. I think it is. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shameless. As Zara and I touched on at the top of this episode, we are about to release our book, The Space Between. It is a series of essays and listicles and pieces about life in your 20s. If you live in Melbourne, we do highly recommend pre-ordering the book. You're obviously not going to be able to get out and buy it at bookstores, so we recommend pre-ordering it this week so you get it in your hands as soon as possible. If you're interstate and it launches next Tuesday, please send us a photo. We're going to be so sad to not be able to go see it in the flesh, Zara. I know it's going to be super, super weird to not actually go out and find it in the wild, but that is okay. I think we did an absolutely jumbled explanation of what the fuck this book launch is because we're so (laughs) nervous. I don't think we did a very good job at all, but we will put more details on our Instagram this coming week. Basically, it's a Zoom chat. Mish and I are interviewing each other. As we say, all ticket sales, it'll be $10, will go to charity. So more info coming on that one. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great week. Keep in touch with us at Shameless Podcast. Otherwise, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.